Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Are you ready for the word? All right. Hey, today, guess what today is? Today is the bona fide Pentecost day. This is bona fide. I mean, it's the real day. I love it when, when the years fall just like that. Today is seven weeks after the official real in history day of the resurrection of Jesus. I love that. Seven weeks. The next day, it's been seven weeks since then. And today is the 50th day since the resurrection. That makes it Pentecost. What happened on Pentecost? Well, a few things happened. We'll talk about those in a moment. But one of the things was is the giving of the law. Moses received the Ten Commandments on the feast of Shavuot, which is Hebrew. Is that right, Saul? Did I say it correctly? Yeah, he's, he's Jewish. Uh, Shavuot. Shavuot is the Hebrew word for weeks. Weeks, okay? Like a seven-day week. Uh, and it's seven weeks. So it's called in the Old Testament, Feast of Weeks. In the New Testament, it's called Feast of Pentecost because seven weeks is 49 days and the next day or the 50th day is Pentecost. So when it goes from Feast of Weeks in the Hebrew, Shavuot, into the Greek slash then English interpretation of translation, it's Pentecost, 50th day, the feast of the 50th day after that uh, sheaf of first fruit, the waving after the resurrection, we'll put it, okay? Amazing, huh? Wow. Well, we're going to be going this morning on a little bit of a history lesson in the book of Genesis, and then we're going to be going to Acts chapter 2. Your job today, you have a job. I have a job. God has a job, okay? My job today is to meet you wherever you are and hopefully take you to the place of prayer. If I can get you to connect with God in prayer, when we get out of here, I have done my job. So my goal, my job is to meet you wherever you are. Now you may have noticed there's a lot of you. So how in the world could I meet each one of you wherever you are in life? Some of you came in happy. Some of you came in sad. Some of you came in, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you don't even know why you're here. Okay, some of you came because, you know, your spouse made you or your mommy uh, made you or whoever, you know, that's, that's life. Okay, so how in the world could I meet you where you are? They're just waiting to me and I don't have this much time. I don't even know some of you. Well, that's where God's job comes in. God's job is to know you and know what you need. And it's God's job to cause you to hear how wonderful he is from the things that I'm going to say. It's God's job to give you something today that will make a difference in your life or that you could take with you from here and give to someone else this week, okay? Now, my job is to meet you where you are and to escort you to a place of prayer and encourage you to pray once we get there. God's job is to make what I say makes sense to you, okay? And to hit you somewhere 
give you, give you something you need. Your job is to be on the lookout for what God wants to give you. That's your job today. Okay? You have a part in this. You are here with a purpose. And that is to find at least one thing today. Out of all the things I'm going to say, at least one thing that rings like gold in your ears. That on, on the inside of you, somewhere in your heart, you say, amen. Yeah, that's me. I could do that. Or, or I know somebody that needs that. Yes. And for you to take that and make sure you hold on to it so that it will help you this week. Or so you can give it to someone else this week. Okay? That's going to be your goal. My goal your goal, God's goal. God's going to make something clear. It's your job to get a hold of it. It doesn't matter how many things I say today. It only matters what you get and what you'll leave with. That's all that matters. Okay? So I'm going to throw in a little history because some of you like that. I'm going to throw in a story or two because some of you like that. Okay? Uh, we're going to read some Bible because some of you don't feel like you've been to church unless the Bible was read. Okay? Okay? So I'm doing my best to give God his greatest opportunity to make something to make it so that you can make sense. It'll be clear to you what God wants. All right. So for the history aspect, to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. You know what happened. Okay? God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know what happened between, you know, verse 1 and verse 2 or how long it was. But when we get to verse 2, God started putting some things in order. The seven days of creation and, you know, cows and grass, you know, and separating water from water and, and light and all that. It ends up with Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter 2, okay? A male and female created he him and they put them in a garden and, he, and they were in the garden of Eden and everything was wonderful. We get to chapter 3 and up jumps the devil. The serpent attempts Eve. He he never did ask her to eat of the fruit but you know what you're doing you know who you're talking to you know what you're saying and you know what you're trying to get them to do okay so it ends up that sin came in to God's perfect world isn't it amazing that even in a perfect world like the Garden of Eden where there is no sin yet there are still some restrictions God said don't eat of this there are still some do's and don'ts even in a perfect world but they didn't obey and sin came. You know, we get to chapter 4, we find out a little more about Adam and Eve's family and how things are going along, you know, and it's kind of getting a little worse. We can tell it's getting a little worse. We get to chapter 5, and things are kind of real bad on the earth. I mean, it's already grieved God that he's made man. We're talking about it. It's been, you know, this was not what God wanted. Then we get to chapter 6. God finds this man named Noah. Man, he says, okay, Noah, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Because the world is so wicked. And I'm going to destroy all flesh upon the face of the earth. But Noah, I'm going to save you and anybody else you can convince to get on the boat. Build an ark. Noah built an ark. You know, for 120 years, Noah preached one message while he was building the ark. Reckon how many people came and asked Noah, why are you doing this? It was a pretty big deal. 
and all the animals coming, all that stuff. I mean, lots of questions. And Noah only had one answer, get right with God. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's all he preached. Get right with God, get right with God, get right with God. Whoa, what a good word. What a great word to preach even in today's world. Get right with God. He preached it for 120 years. We get to chapter number seven and, you know, God goes ahead and, you know, puts them in the ark. Nobody believed. There were animals there. There was room for a lot of people, but do you know that it ended up there were only eight people on the ark. Noah and Noah's wife, Noah's three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and their three wives. Now, I want to offer to you a thought that these young ladies who married Ham, Sham, and Japheth, their only fame to claim was who they associated with who influenced them, who they connected their life to. You have to watch who influences you. You have to watch because a lot of people probably had an opportunity. But only a few got on the ark because most people would be influenced. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Everything's going okay. It was great in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the end times. It's going to be, you know, people were marrying and giving in marriage. Things were great. It was not a bad day on the earth. Things were great. It was not a poor day on the earth. It was a rich day on the earth. Everything was going great and people saw no need to be worried about anything. Noah's daughters-in-law they were saved only because of who they married. That's their only claim to fame. Amazing, huh? Well, we get to chapter 9. You know, uh, God remembers and gets them off the ark. We get to chapter 10, and, and God starts telling us about the descendants of, of, of uh, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. Oh, one of them in chapter 10, you'll like this guy. He was a descendant of Ham. His name was Nimrod. Nimrod, the Bible says, was a great hunter. Nimrod was, was, was a mighty warrior. Nimrod, in fact, ended up ruling the whole earth. Nimrod was a man who built cities. He understood the value of bringing people together in unity and bringing people together on a project. He built the city of Babylon. He built the city of Nineveh. I mean, Nimrod, he ruled the earth. He was a man. And then we get to chapter 11. Now in chapter 11, in fact, why don't we look at chapter 11 for just a second, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 11. The Bible says in verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, Persia, around Iran area, Iran. And uh, then they said, let's make some bricks. And man, they hardened them and they made some great bricks, okay? And wonderful. And then they decided, if you read on, that they were going to build this tower this tower, and it, build this great city and build this tower that reaches all the way up into heaven. Basically, they were saying that we can reach God. We can do what God, we're going to be as big as God, as powerful, as mighty as God. We can do this. Well, verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they began to do. They're going to they're gonna do, you know, they're, they're just going to start serving themselves. They can do anything. They're just going, okay. Now, he says, 
Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Why? Because they're one. They're in unity. Nimrod's done a great job. He's brought them all together. He's he built cities. He's gathered them. They got one language, one purpose. He's given them a single vision. He's giving them something bigger than them to hold on to. He's giving them a purpose that's way beyond their petty problems. He's laid this great vision on their shoulders. And now nothing can be restrained from them. Anything they imagine to do, they can do because they're one. And they have this one language. Well, Verse 7, come, God says, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Now, uh, this, this concept of confusing and scattering, okay? Let me, let me just give you a picture of what that literally means. If we were to really just take this apart because the Hebrew language is a picture kind of language. If we were to really take this apart and look at it, how do you confuse? Uh, uh, some writers write uh, smite. Uh, you know, God smote the languages. Uh, how do you scatter? How do you, uh, you know, well, it's like, uh, you know, uh, well, it's like what happened to me this morning. This morning's Brenda's birthday, and so I, I started to leave. I was running a little bit late this morning, and I was really trying to get away and try to get up here, and, and Brenda was going to uh, ride with someone else, and so I, 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 I waited as late as I could, and I said, okay, Brenda, I have, I have got to go. I said, but first, there's a birthday present I have for you out in the back of our Suburban. So I went out and opened the garage and, I, and, uh, you know, and uh, raised the back of the Suburban and I, I got Brenda's birthday present out and I took it into her and she said, oh, wonderful, it's just what I wanted. Oh, thank you, honey. Oh, yeah, wonderful, yeah. <laughs> so, I said, great, sweetheart. Oh, isn't that wonderful, yeah. <laughs> so excited I went back out in a hurry and I got that Suburban and I cranked it up and I put it in reverse. I'm so proud of myself and I take about, you know, about a three-inch trip back before that raised Suburban lid hits that garage door and that back glass. Have you ever seen a back glass go? (laughs) Those things shatter into like a million pieces. I mean, boosh. All up and down the driveway, all in the garage, it's just everywhere. And so, you know, I, I, I got out of that and I pulled it back up and shut the garage door and went in and got the keys to the other car and left. And on the way up here, I thought, oh, I better call Brenda and let her know because she's about to step out into a lot of glass there. And uh, so, at, anyway, that, that's the concept of confusing and scattering. smiting and scattering okay now this is what God did to the languages it's a picture of having a piece of pottery clay pottery and of God taking his fist and going and it breaking up into shards into smaller pieces and shattering and scattering everywhere that's what God did to the language it's a literal smiting, a confusing, a a breaking up into different pieces. From what we understand, 
it's reasonable to assume that when God smote the languages, when he confused the languages and scattered... It, it ended up in about 70 pieces. There are about 70 root languages that we, that we understand about. And so, boom. And that caused people who did not have a common language to be absent of a power. Some special power comes whenever we are understood, whenever we speak and what we say is fully understood by someone else. I mean, how many times in life, in, in, in your life, have you lost the power of unity because what you said was misunderstood? And we end up saying, well, that's not what I meant. Well, that's not what I meant. Well, that's, you know, and, and well, it's, well, it's what you said. Well, it's not what I meant, but it's what you said. Well, it's not what I meant. Why? Because words, our, our, our words are so imprecise now. Even though God gave Adam and Eve a perfect language, God smote it at the Tower of Babel and scattered the people. And since then, we have been having a difficult time understanding because of a not, not, not having a common understanding. And communication is one of the most difficult things that people face in all walks of life, whether it's family matters, community matters. You know, I mean, come on, how many arguments are started over, you know, what the difference between what Republicans and Democrats are saying? And people pick at words and we don't know what they mean. We don't, we really don't know. Well, that wasn't that way. There was a perfect. There was a power that brought people into a oneness. Joel prophesied that one day God was going to fill people with his own spirit and that was going to cause handmaidens and men servants and, 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 and sons and daughters and everyone to come back together and be one with this, with this explosive power of God. You see, there's something powerful about unity. Psalms 133 tells us the power of unity. God said, behold, as David wrote, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head of Aaron that ran down his beard to the skirt of his garment. It's like the dew on the mountains of Hermon that descend upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded his blessings. Where? In unity. When people are in unity, when families are in unity, there is a power like never before. When churches, when communities are in unity, and when they're not in unity, it is absent of power. There is an absent power when people live in disagreement, when people live in petty, opinionated differences, when people choose to champion their own petty opinion or maybe their own, you know, belief or the, uh, to the detriment of this power. There's something powerful happens when people come together in unity. There the Lord commanded his blessing, Psalms 133 says. Even life forevermore, eternal life is found in a place where we come together in unity. Amazing, huh? One purpose is Jesus Christ. One way, one God, one faith, one baptism, one being in one accord. Well, God intended to restore power, the power of unity. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Have you found Acts 2? Acts chapter 2. By the way, I have no notes today. The notes that I had, if you downloaded my notes, 
uh, they're not any good. I, I just, I got up this morning and I just felt like I'm going to throw those in the trash and we're just going to do extemporaneous this morning. So all this is off the cuff. Uh, it's possible that, uh, uh, that I may get a little excited because I do exci- get excited when I'm not tethered by notes. <laughs> That's why I'm walking around a lot more. All right, thanks. All right. Now, Acts 2, verse 1. This is the reverse of the Tower of Babel. This is what it's meant to be. God smote the languages, scattered them. Here he's going to be bringing them back together. Why? For a power. Because there was nothing, he said in in Genesis 11, nothing could be restrained them from anything they imagined to do because they were in unity. This This morning, Pentecost will apply to your marriage. It will apply to your family. It will apply to your workplace. It will apply to your business. It will apply to the classroom. It will apply to our church. It will be applicable to our community. It will be applicable to our nation and to our generation if we could come together in unity. Remember what happened in World War II? Remember December the 7th, 1941? Remember what happened whenever our nation came together? Bigger than what color we were. Bigger than what economic uh, level of life or academic strata that we uh, were, were at. We came together because we had one common purpose and that was to defeat the Nazis, to defeat Hitler and to stop that tyrannical dictator from taking over the world. We had a common purpose, a common goal and when we came together in unity, people rolled up their shirt sleeves and they didn't care whether they were rich or poor, black or white, Hispanic. They didn't care. They went out together and worked and fought for a common cause. And we won a war because we were in unity. Ronald Reagan said that if aliens from another planet ever attacked the earth, we would forget that we were Russians and we were Americans and we were, you know, uh, Colombians. We would all come together. Let me tell you, there is a devil on planet earth. There is a spirit that is against everything righteous and holy and good. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to knock you out. We have a common enemy, and his name is Satan. God intends for us to dwell together in unity. When the day of Pentecost, when the 50th day, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ came. It was on a Sunday. The 50th day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord. Let's stop there just a moment. One accord. How did they get them all in one little Honda? The 120 of them. I don't know. No. But they were in one accord. That means that they were in agreement. They were all in agreement. They were... What were they in agreement about? Well, they were in agreement about what they were doing there. Why were they in the upper room? Because in Luke 24, 49, Jesus had told them, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait until you be endued with power from on high. I'm going to send the promise of my Father. They were there waiting, all together waiting. Now, Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time after his resurrection, but only 120 of them are in the upper room. That's interesting, isn't it? Where were the rest of them? Don't know. Where were the rest of them this morning? Don't know. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> you know why I never preach on church attendance? You're talking to the wrong people. Okay. <laughs> okay. Back to one accord. If you look in Acts, the first chapter, along about verse 14, this is after Jesus was ascended. They went back into that upper room. It says they were in one accord. How in the world did you get 120 people in one little room to spend a whole week in one accord? Because they had one purpose. They decided that what they were waiting on and what, 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 what goal that they had was more important than their petty opinions. It was more important than what color they were or what nation they were from or what dialect they spoke or, 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 or what, you know, what political party they were affiliated with. Were they a Sadducee, a Pharisee? Were they a Rhodian? It didn't, it didn't matter. No longer mattered. What mattered is there was a promise of God that they were waiting on. And this promise was supposed to fill them with a power from on high. And they were waiting on it. One week later, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were still in one accord. They were unified. They were together. They had a single purpose, and they were in one place. Do you know the Holy Spirit did not come to ten places? It came to one place. Oh, amazing, huh? Wow. There was only one church, by the way, in those days. But he came to that group of born-again believers. It didn't come to everybody that believed Jesus. It didn't come to everybody, you know, listen, listen. Some people, no doubt, were sitting at home. Some people couldn't come. You know, this morning, the, the, some people can come. Some people are locked in, shut in. They're working. They're, you know, they're, they're, they, they worked all night last night. You know, they're, 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 they're sick. They don't feel good. What? You know, all kinds of stuff. But some people just don't go to church. Some born-again believers just don't. They choose to not go to church. Well, all those that chose not to go that day probably regretted it. Because the Holy Spirit that day came to those who were in one accord and it came to one place. It came to the church. <laughs> oh, this is supposed to be uplifting, okay? <laughs> and <laughs> verse 2 says, I, I love this about God. And suddenly, oh, look at your neighbor and say suddenly. I'm going to button this shirt. I don't like it falling down like that, but it makes me feel choked when I do. <laughs> Penance for breaking that window this morning. I'll just decide that. <laughs> suddenly, man, I love this about God. I love this. You see, these people were in one accord. They were waiting on power, but the Bible also says that they were basically shut up for fear. They were locked in that upper room. They were a little concerned that the same people that had crucified Jesus just, you know, just, you know, a couple of months before were going to come up and arrest them for being followers of Jesus. And so they had a little concern. They were a little worried. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you're a little worried, a little concerned? Well, let me tell you what God can do. God can show up suddenly. Suddenly things can change. Suddenly people can change. Suddenly situations can change. 
God is a God of suddenlies. I love it that right here, when they were in that upper room in one accord, whenever you get as your family in one accord, when you get in your marriage as one accord, when you get in your workplace and you get into one accord with one purpose, let me tell you, you're a candidate for God suddenly showing up and doing only what God can do. God changed everything with a suddenly. And suddenly there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, that was happening in that upper room. But guess what? If you read the whole story, you continue reading, which we won't have time this morning, but you continue reading that whole story, you'll find out that they weren't the only people that heard the sound of that rushing mighty wind. It was a sound from heaven. There came from heaven this sound of a rushing mighty wind. The Bible says that all they that were in Jerusalem heard the sound. Do you know people hear the sound of what's going on in church? People hear what's happening in the house of God. They hear if you are in one accord. They hear if you are in one agreement. They hear if you're not as well. Everybody in Jerusalem heard the sound. It was a heavenly sound, thank God. They heard that sound, and they began from all over Jerusalem to start going toward that upper room. They started going toward that sound. It still happens today. People who are outside the church, lost as a goose and on their way to hell, good people, bad people, wherever they are in life, they hear the sound of heaven. God makes sure that they hear hear what's happening in a church that's doing the work of God that is joined together with one purpose. His name is Jesus Christ to take his message to the world. You know, if that's why we're here, people are hearing the sound and they begin to come toward the church. People begin to come. Thousands begin to come toward that upper room because they heard that sound. And then look what happened. They heard this sound as of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Listen, that sound wasn't just from the pulpit. That sound wasn't just, you know, uh, isolated. All of a sudden, it, it just filled the whole place. And what happened next? Verse 3, and there appeared unto them divided tongues. Y'all remember that, those shards, those pieces? That's what happened. There appeared unto them pieces of tongues, divided pieces of language. There appeared unto them a piece, pieces of the languages, the language that God had originally given on planet earth. There appeared unto them all the pieces to the puzzle, the pieces, the divided cloven tongues as a fire. It looked like fire. It was a heavenly language to be baptized in. And each one of them, it set upon each one of them. And they, of course, began to speak in a language not naturally acquired as the Holy Spirit gave him utterance. Now, follow me here quickly. The miracle of Pentecost, to me, the greatest miracle, I mean, I'll say it this way, try your best to understand me, okay? <laughs> it's hard to be under, you know, it's, it's a step to understand me. You know, it's, it's, it's horrible if you misunderstand me, but try to understand here. The miracle of Pentecost, to me, was more a miracle of hearing than it was of speaking in tongues. Yeah. 
Okay? Because I don't know what language these people spoke. But I do know when I read the account, just as it's written, that those people who came running, they all heard in their own language about the wonderful works of God. Now, in your own language, what can this possibly indicate to us today? I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul said, I had rather speak five words that you understand than 10,000 words that you don't. Even though the 10,000 words might be Holy Spirit spoken, inspired, and mysteries beyond our comprehension. Nonetheless, if you don't understand them, they make no difference to you. The miracle of Pentecost was that these listeners understood. They understood how good God was. They heard it. They were hearing by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the unity, because of the coming together. And I believe in speaking in tongues like Paul. I speak in tongues more than you all. And I could get up here and preach in tongues. It would do you no good. Do you understand that? No. Paul said, don't do that. Somebody will come in and think you're crazy. But this morning, I am depending. You are depending on the power of Pentecost, on the miracle of what God did to open up your ears this morning and hear a clear word from God to clearly understand what it is that I cannot adequately verbalize. I can't begin to tell you of the things that I feel and see and know and hope. I can't even explain them to myself. They are mysteries to me, but this morning the Holy Spirit by his anointing by the advent of Pentecost is explaining clearly to you what it is you need to know you can hear of the wonderful works of God in a clear understanding without me having to speak you know your cultures or customs or preferences don't think for one moment I'm discounting the power of edification through speaking in tongues and mystery. I am not. But I want you to understand as well that in today's world you can depend on the power of Pentecost. When you speak a word to someone else, God may just make it clear to them. And the way it happens, this power, is because we have this single purpose of God. We are joined here. This morning we didn't come here so that people could see how pretty you looked and your new shoes. I'm glad you got new shoes and you do look pretty, praise God. But that's not why we're here. This morning we didn't come to hear how pretty you can sing. We didn't come here today just to check it off a box. Or, or I didn't come here today just to get up and rant and rave and whatever. You know, hopefully you didn't come just to meet with your six friends. Hopefully you came because Jesus Christ died for the church. He's coming back for the church. He's committed to the church. And we are the only hope God has. Hopefully we are in one accord. Hopefully this morning, in this one place, 
There is a power of Pentecost available to us so that if someone comes in in need, they can hear today a word because God's presence is filling the place and that people clearly understanding what God is able and what God is willing to do. God loves you, has a plan for your life. He will heal you. He will fill you. He will meet your needs. He will take you to heaven when you die. God loves you. He cares about you. Hopefully that's what you're hearing. And he cares about everyone who's not here. And that's your job this week. Is to take a loving, caring God to a lost and a hurting world. Well, that's what happened at Pentecost. And look at the results. Fast forward down to verse 41. This is the results of that day. I encourage you to read the whole story. Verse 41, and they, or then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Let me tell you, people get saved whenever you're in unity, whenever you come together. When your family, let me just encourage you, if you hadn't gotten something to take home with you yet, take this home, Okay. Quit causing and quit being the division in your family. Your opinion is not that important. Okay? Doesn't matter whether you're right or aren't right. Stop fussing and fighting. Okay? Stop being divided. Unity is important to God. Unity is where power is. Now, that doesn't mean you need to, you know, say you believe something that you don't. I'm not talking about that. Don't misunderstand me. Understanding me is hard enough. But come on. You know we divide over things that don't matter. Today in this, in this congregation, there are Democrats, Republicans, Independents. In this congregation, there are people who have a Catholic background, a Baptist background, a Methodist background, and demonic backgrounds. There's people from every culture and custom, but we didn't come here divided. In your family and among your children, when you go to Thanksgiving, you go to Christmas, quit remembering what Aunt Sue did to you. You don't think that in that 120, there were people with different opinions in that group? There were people who had a lot of different opinions in the group and people who had hurts and people who had disappointments in that group. But whenever they came together around Jesus Christ, they left all that junk outside. There are some things that you need to leave outside of your marriage. Get rid of them. Get them out. Stop that. Some things you need to leave outside of your family and your family gatherings. Is it, is it worth that much to you to run your children off? Is it worth that much to you to no longer talk to your parents or your, your, your siblings? Is it worth that much to you? You're crazy. Excuse me. I'm not talking about the non-negotiable absolutes. I'm talking about those things that often really don't matter. That we could just get softer and kinder and lay down. Some things really do matter. Okay? Joan is still a part of the Bible. Sometimes you've got to kick somebody off the boat to have some peace. Okay? Don't misunderstand me. But I'm telling you 98% of the time... It's a just 
that we need to stop championing those things that don't matter. Stop being frustrated by things that, that, that we can't change that were past. And we need to start embracing a future of unity, of love, of kindness. We should come together because that's where the power is. That's where the power of salvation is. That's where the people coming running to the church is when we're in unity. Amen.